pray together. Dear Lord, may we know that you are our breath and that you are our life. So I pray we'd receive you as breath, that we would come to Jesus believing that you are life, that we need you more than food, we need you more than relationships, we need you more than personal happiness, we need you, Jesus. I pray that we would literally begin to spend our lives breathing you, because as we walk in life, we would walk in you. And that we would show people you through our life, through our actions. Scripture says that our Lord Jesus breathed on his disciples and they received the Holy Spirit. So we know that your spirit is here, but Jesus, I pray that you would breathe on people today so they would feel him in a more impactful and, and meaningful way. And that, that he is, that you are life in itself. And that we would come to you, we would run to you. Like Peter and John on that Easter morning, regardless of their sin, regardless of their fault, regardless of Peter's denial, they ran to the empty tomb. We would run to you, that we would come to you, that we would cling to you, Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. May we know that you are life because you are life. In your name we pray. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Take a Bible. Uh, if you don't have one, uh, we now have Bibles neatly stacked uh, back there. You're welcome to pick one up and turn to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be reading a few verses, verse 1 through 5, this morning. So Easter uh, is over, or at least Easter Sunday is over, and we are starting a new series that we're titling a phrase that many of us have probably used uh, uh, perhaps over and over again, and that is God bless you. God bless you. Now, what is interesting is probably the most apt way to use that phrase is literally when, when someone sneezes. And when I say apt, what I mean is that uh, it connects or it originated starting with the soul, with the spirit. Uh, the reason people say God bless you after you sneeze is the, the thought was that your heart, and I ain't no science guy, so you doctors can correct me. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I did, I, did um, I don't know, science for... You know, I don't want to say idiots, but I, I don't know. That sounds bad. And, you know, in college, I'm not a science guy. But they say that when you sneeze, your heart, like, stops. And so you say, God bless you, because your spirit, your soul, you know, you, you, know, you want eternal life. And then uh, also, uh, in history, it was believed that your soul escaped from your body when you sneeze. So you say, God bless you. So it's kind of a, you know, a soul life thing. Uh, now we often say it uh, in other ways, more more earthly ways, like uh, I'll say, you know, often uh, end an email, God bless, or he'll say, well, God bless you, bro. Uh, I'll never forget a, uh, a guy, a uh, famous collegiate quarterback, he's still famous now, he's no longer a quarterback, but uh, he gave this great speech uh, after his team, uh, the Florida Gators, uh, got defeated by another team uh, that day, his name was Tim Tebow, he gave this great speech at the press conference, um, I don't have to remind you all the team that defeated him, but he... Uh, and he gave this long talk, and he ended, God bless, and he walked off the podium. Uh, so it's a great day, great day. And many of us were blessed that day. But anyway, I digress. So we say, you know, God bless, God bless you, may God continue to bless you. Often we may say, man, God has really blessed me. You know, let's think about it, you know, what does that mean? 
maybe you've said it, I've said, man, God's really blessed me. Uh, often it can mean uh, maybe health, uh, health of family, uh, health of kids. Maybe it could mean wealth uh, that God has provided. Uh, you know, a couple, couple business deals worked out. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, it can mean relationships. Man, God's really blessed me with, with people and family or children or home. You know, we say that. But now the question I'd ask as we start this series, and it'll be for the next four weeks, is, you know, is someone blessed if they don't have the blessings that we uh, connotate as blessings? Translate, if someone does not have health or if someone does not have wealth or if someone does not have, you know, thousands of Facebook friends or maybe if someone doesn't have like 10 really intimate friends that they can hang out and, you know, just, you know, be blessed, you know, are they then blessed do they have blessings from God? When you or we face these trials and tribulations of broken relationships or broken careers or broken health, are we blessed? Do we think we got God's blessings? We'll see. I hope you'll see. I hope we will find out. So, Matthew 5, reading verses 1 through 5 today. And it should be up on the screen. It says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So stop right there for today. Now, really, this series is about salvation, or what we would call being saved. And what is interesting, if you look at what Jesus said about being saved, he never said, he never said, you know, receive me into your heart. He never said, uh, accept me as your personal Lord and Savior. Those are some human words that we have come up with. You definitely need to receive and accept Jesus in your heart. But what he said about salvation, he always taught about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. On screen, a couple of verses. Matthew four seventeen. It says, from that time, the beginning of his ministry, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And really, one of the most famous chapters that Jesus talks about being saved and salvation is John 3 to Nicodemus. Jesus answers him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When Jesus talks about being saved or salvation, he always brings it back to living in the kingdom of God. And you may be saying, okay, great, what is that kingdom, you know? How do I see it? You know, how, how do I live in it? What, what is the deal? If uh, you might know some of you at Bellwether, the end of our mission statement says, raise the kingdom. It says, raise the kingdom. You may say, how do you do that? What's up with that? How do I, how do I raise the kingdom? You know, what is this whole kingdom deal Jesus is talking about? The kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. One of the best ways that, that I've found to describe it is thinking about a new administration. Uh, when a new leader is elected to office, let's say a new mayor, not making any statements there, but a new mayor, okay? 
or a new president. There's a new administration with new policies. And they will be enacted or tried to be enacted. So there's a new administration that is taking over. And so for Jesus, he's saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A new administration has begun on this earth with his ministry and then more so with his death and then more so with his resurrection. A new kingdom. And even more so than any political leader, Jesus can transform a life, can transform a marriage, can transform a relationship, can transform a city, and will ultimately transform this world by his kingdom. Now then, this is actually also a very practical series in that it talks about your salvation. And the question would be, where do you stand with God? So, as in like, are you saved? And you're like, yeah, man, you know, came down the altar, uh, seventh grade, or, you know, you know, some of you may say, yeah, I mean, I got, I got that shot, I got that, I got my fire insurance, you know. And this series is asking, really, in that do you really live in the kingdom, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God? And so I'm going to ask questions, and we're going to see over the course of this month, and if this is like totally new to you, or if you've never heard Christianity in this way, then I'd love to talk more about your salvation and like really see if you are really saved. Track it with me? You can be saved in this glorious emotional moment. Last week, Easter, emotional peak. Had some brothers and sisters get baptized. Some of you may have been saved right at that service. Right in your heart. You know, I've never seen it like this, never heard it like this. You know, I believe. It happens in a moment. Uh, it doesn't always have to be on a peak. It can be in very quiet moments. Uh, some of you know this guy, John Wesley, one of the great leaders of the faith. He was saved. He simply walked into a church that was like half filled at night on an evening service, sat down in the back, and the, the sermon was in Romans 8, and he said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. And that was the moment when he was saved. And I think of sweet uh, Caitlin Burnett. I don't know if she's here. She certainly didn't know I was going to call her out. But Caitlin Burnett, in her testimony, she went to a service in the Smokies and saw him singing and then prayed with her grandmother in the car after the service, and she was saved. You know, for Jesus, you know, the method, the, the mode, the how is not as important as the traits you might, you should have when you're saved. And these Beatitudes, which begin what's called the Sermon on the Mount, show what it's like to live in the kingdom. And the Beatitudes, beginning the Sermon on the Mount, show how to enter, to enter into the kingdom of God, how to enter into salvation. Now, if you're tracking with me, there are eight Beatitudes. The first four literally say, here's how to enter into salvation. And you may not have realized that. You may think, I thought it was talking about, you know, different types of people. Well, Jesus is actually talking about one type of person with many traits that is a citizen of the kingdom, someone living in the kingdom. The first four, how to get in. The last four, how to live in it. We're going to hit these first three today. And we're going to talk about just one next week, verse 6. 
But, and let me say this too. Um, and I hate doing this. It's kind of the Sunday after Easter, you know. But you, you have to begin this way. And really Christianity, the Christian faith begins this way. It begins kind of painful. And so I, I'm, I'm definitely not down on pain. Like, you know, I don't like to hurt. You know, I don't want to hurt you. And I, I don't want to use the word negative. But sometimes it, the beginning of Christianity is receiving some things that like pierce and hurt and convict. And so I, today, as we're preaching this, I, hey, you may get angry. You know, I mean, you, you might get angry at me. You, you might get offended. But really, think about it. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to me? Is the Holy Spirit convicting me? Because the Holy Spirit tells us things about ourselves so we would run and come to Christ. And that He saves us. And that we can't save ourselves. All right, let's look at three verses. Verse, one, verse 3, first verse. Again, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, poor, not, not a word like we love. I mean, I, I don't think any of us really want to think of ourselves as, as poor or think of ourselves as uh, living in a poor state. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus is saying here, that first and foremost, we have a problem. And our problem is spiritual. We have a spiritual problem. It's more than like psychological. Like, you know, go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, you know, and and they do great work, but they're not going to get you all the way. Our our problem is more than social or or where we were born or where we were raised. It's like we can say, man, well, if I was just born in a different home, if I was just born, you know, we blame our parents. My parents are here today. I'm not blaming you all, Mom and Dad. If we just had, you know, a different set of, of parents or you know, if we just, you know, lived in a different country, you know, we could do all these. It's bigger than social. It's bigger than cultural. It's bigger than psychological. All of that. That the problem is spiritual. We have a spiritual problem. And it is Jesus telling us, you know, you can't do it on your own. You can't, you can't, you can't get there. You can't save yourself. That You're literally bankrupt. We, we can't save ourselves. We can't do it on our own. We don't have what it takes. We don't have what it takes. Uh, to make it through this life, let me just be real clear, to save ourselves from death, we don't have what it takes to save ourselves. You know, I have never met a person who, um, who was like really looking forward to death. I've never met a person who, who really wanted to die. Now, I know you could say, well, what about suicide? I'm going to get to that in a second. Okay, hold on. I've never, none of us want to die. There's, there's something in us that we want to live on. And even though physical death is real, you know, we still make plans to live on here. As in like, you know, hey, let me build up my, uh, my wealth. Uh, let me build up my relationship so at least I can leave a legacy. Uh, let me build up my good deeds. You know, if we are a leader in something, so they say, oh, I remember this leader and he was so great. You know, presidents try to leave that legacy so they can be, in some sense, immortal. We want to live on. There is something innate in us that just rejects death, yet we still have to face it. We still have to face it. I want to share a quote uh, by this guy named Blaise Pascal. I don't throw a lot of quotes out by Blaise Pascal. Now, he was, I'm not trying to like, you know, be, be smart or something like that, because he was a mathematician in the 1600s, and like, 
just with science. I mean, math was, I mean, I got like, I, I flagged gentlemen C's in math and, you know, was proud of them, you know, would jump and, jump and sing. But Blaise Pascal, he was an atheist, then he was agnostic, then he was a Christian, okay? And he became a Christian and he, he said this, uh, or wrote this great quote. And I think it's, even though he lived in the 1600, it applies to today right now. Look what he said. All men, saying women, but all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves or commit suicide. Our eternal drive, our eternal clock, all of us, me included, is pushing, driving towards being happy. Some of you uh, young men and women looking at college right now, you know, where can I be the happiest? Or where can, you know, there be the most uh, renowned or prestige? Where can I be happy? Us men who go to work, yeah, sometimes work is hard. Yeah, we have to be disciplined. But what can I do that can provide? Maybe provide above and beyond, but at least provide for a family. Where can I live? Which zip code will give me the most promise for happiness? Our drive, our internal clock is, is going for us to be happy. And then we meet death. And we're like, we, can, well, we can't, this is something we can't overcome. So we're still driving to be happy that we can leave this legacy. Jesus says, Jesus says, and this is the beginning of salvation, realizing we don't have what it takes. We don't have what it takes. I mean, ultimately, we don't have what it takes in death, and we will realize that. But many of us, many of us who are old enough, unfortunately, will realize we don't have what it takes in, in life. And this is contrary to a lot of, you know, the most popular uh, stands arose in bookstores, which is the self-help section. You know, self-help's like, hey, believe in yourself. Hey, you can do it. Hey, you got what it takes. Jesus would disagree. He said, you don't have what it takes have what it takes. Uh, AA, you know, we have several folks who are in or been through AA. You know, it begins, AA begins by, uh, and I, I don't go through AA, I mean, I, I believe in it, it's great, but I believe the beginning statement, point number one, is we're helpless, okay? That came from Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't get that from AA. You track with me? AA got that. We're helpless. We're helpless with our addiction. We're helpless with our deal. And beginning, you got to see, we are poor in spirit. There's a spiritual deal, which is why the Bible is so important, which is why church is so important, which is why a group is so important. You know, counselors are great. They help out. Psychologists are great. You know, nutritionists are great. All that stuff. But it's a spiritual deal that is the root of our problem. And one other thing I want to show you all before moving on to the next verse. you got to see that there is this problem. There is this problem, should be up on screen, and that the problem is beyond you. The problem is sin. The problem is you. G.K. Chesterton, okay? Some of y'all have read him, some of y'all know him. His writings at the beginning of the 20th century brought C.S. Lewis to salvation. He lived in London, he wrote, and in a newspaper one day they said, 
we want to uh, cast this question out to the whole city, and it's a simple question. What is the problem with the universe? You know, was, I guess it was kind of trying to be fun, get a poll. Well, he wrote back. He's a Christian now. He's not agnostic this time. He's a Christian, and he wrote back, the problem with the universe is me. Poor in spirit. There's a problem. It's beyond you. It's sin. It is you. I know, happy news. Happy day after Easter. Hold on. Keep on. It gets better. It gets better, okay? Next verse. Next verse says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And this ties to the problem. The problem is beyond us. It's a spiritual problem. And then the problem is sin. Blessed are those who mourn. Man, we look out in the world and we either want to mourn or we do mourn or we're so like numb to the problems of the pain, we don't mourn. And, you know, you can see this on the news. You can see this in, in world conflict, global conflict. You know, I mean, presently everybody's kind of looking at Ukraine and Russia and what is this going to mean. You look in the city, some, you know, potentially intractable problems in, in this city, in our city. But then you can also, you know, see these problems in just human relationships. Just like one-on-one, person-to-person, family-to-family. I mean, we do not have to go far in our minds. I mean, you, you know, I'm, I can't share, but I'm blessed to try to walk. I'm really blessed to try to walk with people through pain. But just, just like, like hammerheads, log jams, people have conflict with one another. And we're like, what's the deal? You know, can't we, you know, a lot of us think this idealism that, hey, if we just held hands and sang kumbaya, you know, it would all be good. And that's false. What's very interesting, I've heard several uh, politicians, several economists now say, you know, you can give all the freedom you want to to a people or a country. You can give all the aid, you know, build houses, send food, all that, and there is still chaos. There's still looting. There's still robbing. There's still pillaging. If there's not order, human sin will manifest. Something else is interesting. I didn't know this until this week. You know, the founding fathers, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, they wanted to put Moses on the dollar bill. Not because he freed the Israelites, but because Moses, but God through Moses, established order and law. That left to our own, we will just conflict, we'll destroy ourselves. And we mourn that. The problem's beyond us. The problem is sin. It's a sin deal. What is sin? Sin is very simply saying, I mean, you could define it many ways. My son Jack says sin is the heart crying out, me, 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 all the time. You know, here's, uh, I love that, but here's, here's another way of defining sin. Sin is saying, it's my life, leave me alone. I want to do my own thing. You know, who are you to say, get off my case. It's my life. I'm free. Let me make my own choices. It's my life. Here is a great, uh, I think it's a great story of sin, and it happened to me immediately after the service last week at Easter. So, you know, we're going to lunch, and I'm parked across the street, you know, which, which is good. You know, we want to have parking here. So I got to walk, you know, my kids across the street, so I'm walking Logan. And, you know, like, Logan, hold my hand. It's like, I don't want to hold your hand. He didn't say that. He's like, like, I ain't holding your hand. It's like, Logan, you got to hold my hand. No, man, you know. So like, all right, fine, you know, leave you, you know, on your own. Well, so he's walking, and he's walking good. Well, then, you know, a car wraps around, turning on old Canton, and the car doesn't just slow down. He speeds up. 
And so me, first there's sin and loneliness. I want to do my own thing. Then there's sin in me. Like, man, who do you, you know? You want to, like, who do you think you are, pal? You know, buddy. I mean, you go speed up. Who, you and your bad self coming down here. You know what I'm like? You know what are you trying to do? Like, prove a point. I, I'm sinning right here. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. I was riled up. But he did. He was speeding up. But we're all like little kids, and God is reaching out His hands, like, I don't need you. I got this, Dad. And walk across the street. Sin is wanting to go our own way, wanting to do our own thing. And you know, we see it lived out in relationships and families in the world. And we mourn that. So we're poor in spirit. Problems beyond us. We mourn. The problem is sin. And if we just stop there, it'd be like, man, this is, this is a bad day. It's a bad deal. Bad pit. Just like... And I'm not a doctor either, and not to get all graphic, but if you stop in the middle of any new birth, it, it's, it's not good. You've got you know, you to get it, get it done, get it out. Okay, poor illustration, but anyway, bear with me. If you stop, you know, it's bad. So the last verse today, this is where it begins to get, this is where it's picking up. But you've got to understand, like it is, you know, we're poor in spirit. We mourn, it's sin. The problem is us. So verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And see, when we get to that point, it's either one of two responses. One, we're either really angry or offended. Uh, you could be offended at me. Uh, you could be offended at someone who's a good friend who loves you and is like, man, you're in sin. You know, can you see this? Uh, you can be offended at God. Uh, you can be offended at the Bible. You can be offended at the gospel. Like, what do you mean I don't have what it takes? Because the rest of the world's telling me I do. They are. That's why the Bible is so different. It says we on our own do not have what it takes. So that can be response A. Response B is humbling ourselves and saying, you're right, God. Uh, I don't have what it takes. But thank you that you have sent your son to get what I deserve and give me something much, much better. And we can be humble about that. Now let me say some things. Uh, the gospel, the Bible, Jesus calls this repentance. You, know, you can either get angry and offended and, and go your own way, kind of we love prodigal son parable, I love it, elder brothers, or you can see your sin, see that the problem is beyond you, and come to Christ. Go to Christ and humble yourself in repentance. Now, let me, this is really important because I see this all the time. There's a difference between self-pity and repentance. Because all the time I see folks, and they get there. They, they get to the humility point. And that they come, either they come maybe to the altar, they come to me or another staff member, and, and they're broken, and they're humble, and they're repenting. And what happens, they're like, oh, I know God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. And there's still shame. And there's still embarrassment. And there's still hurt and they're they're saying like i i can't forgive myself and then that leads to well if i can't forgive myself and they get into conflict again you know i don't have to forgive other folks yeah i know god's forgive me i i got that and you live in self-pity and you're not truly repenting there is a difference between repentance and the self-pity of i I really i can't forgive myself i know i know god's got me cleansed me all that but if, if you got that then you can walk free, you can walk in humility, you can walk in peace, you can walk in strength, and that is true repentance. 
Repentance is not staying there. It is saying, I'm coming to you, Christ. I'm running to you. Forgive me and walking away a new person. Let me say one other thing. Meek here, I know that's like, you know, wimpy word, you know, for some of us dudes and all. Meek does not mean weak. The literal Greek translation of this word, right here, meek, it means a tamed, wild animal. We are wild animals. A meek person is a tamed one. Tamed by Christ. Tamed by coming to Christ. Tamed by, in humility, saying, I can't do this on my own. The problem is beyond me. The problem is sin, Jesus. The problem is me. But thank God that you came for me to save me. And I will put my trust in you. That is the good news. Yes, it starts here in a bad place. But Jesus leads us to a better place, a higher place. And that's where we want you to be. We want you to be like really saved. What does a meek person look like? A meek person is free. A meek person, regardless of the sin that you have done, regardless of the scandal that you've been in, and some of us have been in scandal, you can walk here today with your head held high when you repent that Jesus has saved you. You can walk in humility. You can walk in courage. You can walk in courage to face the people that maybe have hurt you or maybe you've hurt and you can seek forgiveness. You know you're forgiven, so you can forgive easily and readily. A meek person is teachable. A meek person will say, you know, I don't know everything. I need help. A meek person is a team player. A meek person is growing more and more into a leader. Even if they're already a leader, they're going into a stronger leader, a better leader. They have courage, they have peace, and they have joy. They have joy because they know they didn't get, we didn't get, what we deserved. They're getting something so much better. Because the truth of it is, and you've heard me say this, the gospel begins with we all deserve hell. And yet Jesus came. And so we get something much more better. I mean, yeah, it's heaven, but heaven can start today. In your life, in your relationships, in your marriage, in this church, in this city. It's a transformed person. It's living in the kingdom. It's what we want you to do. So, I know so many of y'all are, so many of us are looking for blessing, the blessed life. And we do equate it with health, uh, wealth, exciting life, intoxicating life, beautiful life, all of those things. And we run ragged trying to keep up with the Joneses, trying to meet our own expectations you know, shooting, aiming for this or that, good time, exciting career, all this, and we just continue to be empty and void and hollow. What is the answer? Come to Christ. Realize the problem is beyond you. The problem is sin. The problem is us. Come to Christ as someone poor in spirit, as someone who mourns the sin of the world, but yet are comforted by Him, and yet meek, who will inherit the earth. And that's what Scripture says, because we will in Christ. One day, fully, truly, inherit the earth. Come to Christ. Know Him. Live in the kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word, Your Gospel truth. Thank You that sometimes it does hurt. Uh, it does convict. Thank You that You are like a surgeon and that You want to bring healing, but sometimes You first have to pierce us. And so I pray that You do pierce us, but that You, uh, you would heal these we, your people, uh, more and more to see that uh, we, we don't have what it takes. But thankfully you do and you have and you've done it with your work on the cross and the promise 
of our resurrection, trusting in you. May we trust in you. May we go to Christ that you have the answer. May we do so meekly and humbly as tamed wild animals that will rise up and not uh, struggling to forgive ourselves, but knowing that you have forgiven us and we can walk freely, we can walk with strength, we can walk with boldness and courage and humility because of what you've done, because of the very present and future promise of your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen.